Fault Lines. Welcome back to Fault Lines with Nixon and Stranahan on 105.5 FM and 1390 AM in Washington, D.C. And don't forget, there are a lot of ways you can check out Fault Lines. Number one, you can go to, you should follow Fault Lines Radio at Fault Lines Radio on Twitter. Of course, you can go to Lee's very own Twitter account, which is at Stranahan, um, they put out uh, they put out a really great version of this show um, on video. Yep, that's Populous also TV. that's right. That uh, also you can find that same one on YouTube, and you of course you can go to the Sputnik News Agency's Facebook page, and you can uh, check us out uh, our um, Facebook uh, live social media um, uh, 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 Facebook feed, and whichever of these that you do go to, make sure that you share them on all of your social media platforms sure. we do not do any we do we don't do advertising so what we uh what we count on is word of mouth that people will like what we're doing that people will like the discussion i think we have a broad discussion we have good discussion yeah but um we and we have a lot of fun and people seem to like it so next we have dr michael Neverdakis. he's a host of dialogos dialogos radio and he's a contributor to, a contributor to mint Press News, and he is in Greece. We're going to be talking about Greece, Macedonia, and political tensions in the EU. Good morning, Dr. Michael Neverdakis, and welcome to Fault Lines. Good morning. Thanks for having me back on. So what's, let's start with Greece. What's the latest news that we have about Greece? You guys were kind of at the front end of this, uh, this EU um, controversy initially, you know, Greece kind of went bankrupt and, and there were a lot of people saying, oh, that Gre- Greece, they're terrible with their money. They've made horrible mistakes. And then slowly but surely people started getting wise to the EU and how they were, you know, um, you know, they were they were taking over countries basically through uh, uh, controlling their 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 money. And that Greece started to look kind of like a victim of EU politics more so than an irresponsible um, EU partner. So what are your thoughts? What's going on in Greece? What do we need to know? Well, that um, <laughs> that description is exactly true. Uh, one of the many things going on in Greece right now, uh, um, at least as far as the government is concerned, the talk is that the country is recovering economically, uh, that Greece will be exiting the so-called bailout later this year in August, um, so the summer. Um, And really, that has nothing to do with economic reality on the ground in Greece and also with the actual agreements that the current government, which before it was elected, had promised to tear apart the austerity agreements um, and ended up signing new austerity agreements, goes against what they were saying back when they were uh, still an opposition party. Uh, Just to give um, a few examples here. Um, they're talking about Greece exiting the uh, the austerity um, the austerity agreements and the, uh, the 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 bailout agreements later this year, but um, the the current government has agreed to maintain primary budget surpluses of over three uh, percent each year from now until twenty twenty two, and then from twenty twenty two until I believe the year twenty sixty. Uh, has agreed to maintain uh, budget surpluses of over 2%. And what that means for a country such as Greece, um, which is having economic difficulties, and even if it has some GDP growth, it's very, very low, is that the government will be spending, and the state will be spending less money than it takes in. Um, 
So that is, in essence, to, to really boil it down into very simple terms, that is, in essence, permanent austerity because the government will always be won't be running deficits, won't be running deficit deficit, deficit spending, um, will be spending less money than it takes in as revenues. So if the country's GDP is not growing, that means that the amount of money that is being spent on social services and 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 basically within the economy um, will be declining as well. And but that's not the only thing that's been agreed upon. Uh, basically, there's a privatization spree that is ongoing and um, that will uh, continue to be ongoing for the foreseeable future. Um, even Greece's assets that have not yet been um, officially privatized, uh, they have been moved. They have basically been transferred to a, um, a privatization fund, uh, which will control these assets for the next 99 years or so. Um, and many of these assets would be in line for privatization. Just to give an example, the government in the past couple of years has privatized 14 regional airports, which were profitable, by the way. So they were bringing money into the Greek treasury. Um, they've been they were privatized and actually privatized isn't even a right word because the, the company that took them over is actually state owned, but it's owned by the German state. It's a company known as Fraport, uh, which runs some airports in Germany. Uh, they've taken over many of these Greek airports at, at really bargain basement prices. It's a ridiculous deal. Um, Greece's largest port, which is also one of the largest ports in Europe, the port of Piraeus, or Piraeus, as it's said in Greek, uh, that was sold off to a Chinese company known as Costco, again, at a very, very low price, much less than what the, the port is actually worth. Um, also, th that was that privatization was also done by the same government. The Greek National Railroad, that was that was really egregious privatized last year uh the it was finalized a few months ago the whole entire system uh, the network of uh you know rails and stations and the entire infrastructure was sold for about 40 million dollars which is less than the cost of a luxury yacht to um, another state-owned company in fact uh, so it wasn't really a privatization but it wasn't the basically the state-owned operator of the Italian railroad system. So all of this has been going on. And then uh, Greece has also agreed, the current government has agreed, to economic oversight of the country and its finances uh, until uh, 80% of its current debt has been repaid. And that is estimated to occur in the year 2059. So we're looking at another... 40 plus years of economic oversight. And that completely contradicts any rhetoric of Greece exiting the memorandums in the bailout agreements. Now, let me ask you a question, doctor. And by the way, may I call you doctor? Uh, of course. There we go. <laughs> it's, it's, I, it's, I just told you to me. Like, I graduated about 10 days ago. No, that's right. And I, I always like to do it. By the way, congratulations. But I'm always sure. Thank you. Whenever we have Dr. Leon on, obviously, too, I always, <laughs> I, I always give you that. I know... Uh, how long were you working on your doctorate, by the way? Oh, it was a uh, it was a long process. It took about nine years. Uh, I mean, there were some breaks in between. It wasn't continuous, but um, it took about nine years. But it's all done. 
Yeah, that that's that's why I always admire people who who go through the the work and get that uh, get that degree. But let me ask you a question, doctor. See, I'm sure you never get sick of it. I'm looking for an honorary doctor. Have you, have, have you been looking at the situation in Italy whatsoever? We had a guest on the other day who's comparing what's happening in Italy uh, with what the Greeks went through. Have you, is that a situation you've been monitoring at all? Yes, I have been uh, monitoring it. I personally, I've. Um, had a long-standing bet with myself. Uh, this isn't anything official, and it's not really even based on anything concrete. Just more of a, a gut feeling, I guess, or a hunch that Italy will end up being the country where you know the dominoes begin to fall. Uh, if um, you know, as far as uh, being perhaps the first country to exit the eurozone. But as we've seen, they elected a coalition government that uh, was not so warm to the euro. And uh, we saw what happened with their uh, their proposed finance minister, who uh, was rejected by the Italian president. And this whole situation was very reminiscent of a couple of events in uh, recent Greek history, one of them being... Um, the events of late 2011, early 2012, when um, the government of George Papandreou at the time, uh, which ha had actually brought austerity to Greece in the first place, but then started talking about having a referendum on Greece's membership in the euro, that government was ousted. There was no referendum that took place, and a technocratic government uh, was brought in uh, with a former uh, European central banker who was not elected and who became uh, prime minister of Greece. His name was Lucas Papadimos. And he uh, saw the country through the introduction of the second memorandum agreement and the second austerity agreement. So he remained in power for uh, almost a year, uh, maybe half a year, actually. Elections were held in May and then in June of 2012. But he was in power long enough to get this second austerity agreement uh, through and into effect. And then there's the events of 2015, when the current government was in power, when in July of 2015, they held a sudden referendum, which... Uh, was asking the Greek people whether they approved or disapproved of a uh, basically a proposal put forth by uh, the European Union led by the Germans uh, that would have basically meant more austerity measures, more cuts. The Greek people overwhelmingly voted no. It was uh, almost 62% of voters who voted no, who rejected this uh, basically German-led austerity agreement. And what the current government ended up doing is within less than two weeks of that rejection, they turned around and agreed to a new set of austerity measures, which became known as the third memorandum agreement very similar to what voters had rejected, perhaps even worse, depending on who you ask. Uh, so once again, the, the will of voters was just completely disregarded. And unfortunately, you know, even looking beyond Greece, this seems to be a, a trend with many referendums in uh, Europe that have gone against the EU's wishes. And I'll just mention this. In 2013, since you mentioned my, uh, my, my PhD, my doctoral studies, um, as part of my studies, I had the opportunity to travel to Brussels. I was uh, back then participating in the Fulbright program as a Fulbright scholar, 
they invited me and other students who were in a Fulbright program throughout Europe to spend the week in Brussels and also in Luxembourg to visit EU and NATO institutions. It was really very interesting. And one of the most interesting and also one of the most disturbing, in my view, parts of this week-long visit where we got to go to the European Commission and the European Court of Justice and visited NATO headquarters in Brussels and so forth. When I was at the European Commission, we had a series of meetings with various technocrats, uh, uh, you know, in different positions within the commission. I don't even remember their names, to be honest, and it was really hard. We, I mean, we couldn't record what they were saying or anything. I could only take a few notes. But the way in which they spoke about Southern Europe in general, not just Greece, but also Italy, was a target of um, many of these technocrats. It was really very demeaning, and um, it was an eye-opener for me. They, they said, for instance, that there were there was this one technocrat who told us that there were parts of Italy that they, meaning they within a European commission, wished they could govern directly from Brussels. And addressing another non-elected prime minister that they had at the time, Mario Monti, who was also very pro-EU, they said that Mario Monti was the best thing to happen to Italy since Mussolini. And I was just in shock that they were talking like this. Um, but that's, that's not, exactly yeah, You don't however. often hear that. Yeah. You don't hear, for instance, the uh, new BMW. It's the best car since Hitler. Exactly. <laughs> you don't, it's just it's not the, something you yeah, hear. Best thing since the Panzer Division used Tiger tanks in World War II. No, that, well, you know, I, I do have a question. I think this is important. Maybe that should be our new, by the way. Uh, welcome to Fault Lines. The best thing to come from Russia since Stalin. There exactly. Let's go. go with that. <laughs> yeah, we're the greatest thing since Tokyo Rose. Hey, um, question. I think this is important. You know, there was a, a one of my another one of my favorite books, a book that really explains the concept of um, of technocrats called Voltaire's Bastards. I don't know if you're familiar with it. But it's a great book, but that's a term you use a lot, and I think a, a lot of people who aren't really into politics don't understand technocrat. When you say a technocrat, explain it to our listeners exactly what you mean when you say the technocrats. Yeah, I was interested in that. That is an, an excellent question. A technocrat is basically someone who's not a career politician, is someone who has been working uh, within the bureaucratic structure, if you will, but you know, perhaps someone that in the finance ministry, someone in the, uh, the central bank of... Uh, a particular country or perhaps the European Central Bank, someone who basically comes from more of this either bureaucratic or banking, central banking background and has not been involved in politics in any direct way, uh, but then gets thrust into politics. And usually, as we've seen in countries like Italy and Greece, they get they literally do get thrust in. They usually have not been elected. They've been appointed uh, by the powers that be um, to various positions, such as prime minister of Greece, for instance, or in the case of Italy, they've actually had several prime ministers who were not elected and who were who could be classified as uh, technocrats. You know, when I think of technocrats, I think of a, a Star Trek episode, because when I think of technocrats, I think because <laughs> it's, it's got the word tech in it. Yeah. yeah, that too. But I think because the, there was a rap. Both. 
Okay. But it's even better. And not the one with Tribbles. And that was a great, ex- that was a great episode. <laughs> but my point being that when I think of the technocrat, I think of the person who operates within this system mm-hmm. that becomes an amoral system. That they don't care. You know, they could say, okay, well, you know, if we just check this mark off, granted, 100,000 people will die, but the economy will go up 0.001%. It was, a, I remember this Star Trek episode where they determined that it, instead of blowing things up in war, mm-hmm. they would just do a computer simulation and decide how many people died in this computer simulation. And then they'd say, okay, this percentage, uh, there was an attack, a computer on our computer there was a, that says there was an attack and 100,000 people died, and 100,000 people have to report to the extermination chambers. And they're and they are killed. That's what I think of as the technocrat, the person who can who would stand there and say, "Okay, according to our computer simulation, fifty thousand people died. Go round up fifty thousand people and and uh, send them to the extermination chambers because that's the way we do things." The person who operates in a system and becomes completely amoral, doesn't care about people anymore, doesn't care about anything, doesn't even care if they destroy everything around them, including the system that they work in. As long as they go by the rules and parameters that they've been taught that they've, mm-hmm. they're supposed to use. The, Dr. Never, Never Dockers, am I off base in my interpretation of a technocrat in that manner? No, I don't think you're off base at all. And, you know, a very a, a real world comparison to the analogy that you made uh, are the austerity agreements themselves. I mean, they're technocrats are basically number crunchers and. They probably have their spreadsheets and their research reports in front of them and um, saying something like, well, if we uh, cut pensions by this percentage, um, the poverty rate will go up by this much and um, this many people will be left homeless or out of work or whatever. But our GDP will go up by, you know, some minuscule amount. So let's go ahead and implement that policy. So. That's exactly what's been going on in uh, in Greece since 2010. Uh, you can say that it's been happening in Italy as well. It happened in countries, uh, other countries that went through similar so-called bailouts, such as uh, Cyprus or Ireland. In Cyprus, for instance, back in 2013, they implemented what was called a uh, you know a haircut on bank deposits, and what this haircut uh, actually was it was actually a, a basically a cut on bank deposits of over a hundred thousand euros i believe they took 30 percent of the of you know whatever you know depositors had in their accounts if it was over a hundred thousand so euros and this was a man well doctor took their money basically and they called it a bail-in basically uh you as a depositor were an investor in the bank. So since the bank was in trouble, you were bailing in the bank involuntarily. Uh, in well, thanks. For, thank you. Uh, unfortunately, we're up to uh, we're up against the hard break. We've got to we got to go. Where can people go to find your information online? Uh, there is dialogosmedia.org, D-I-A-L-O-G-O-S, media.org, and hellenicinsider.com. Thank you. Dr. Michael Neverdakis, host of Dialogos Radio, editor of Hellenic Insider, and a contributor to Mint Press, PhD in Media Studies from the University of Texas. Thank you very much. Another great segment. We'll be right back with Lee and Hollywood. And me, of course. You're listening to Fault Lines with Nixon Stranahan. Tough questions are the most powerful weapon we have. As long as you have questions.